All right, you may open your Bibles, please, to 2 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 1, 2 Peter, chapter 1, and we're going to actually be using the entire chapter this morning. By the grace of God, I would like to take you verse by verse through all of 2 Peter in the next three weeks. Lord willing, we'll cover today a sermon, as you can see, by the title of The Furtherance of Your Faith. I believe that'll be the main thrust of chapter 1. Chapter 2 deals primarily with false prophets and their false teachings. And then chapter 3 deals primarily with the fact that Jesus is coming again. All of this, I think, hinges. This is very important that we get the, the proper foundation to understand this book of the Bible Peter is going to emphasize something incredibly important for any Christian to understand. What he's going to talk about in this chapter, it is the goal, the chief aim of being a Christian. If you do not understand the very goal that we're pointing towards, what we're trying to achieve, then it can skew your entire attempt to follow Christ. If you would begin with me in verse number four, I just want to introduce you to the chapter, then we'll pray, and then we'll go verse by verse. In verse four, it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, I don't know if you're the kind of person that underlines things in your Bible. Maybe you like to highlight things. At the very least, let this mentally jump off the page to you. This is the main thought of the chapter. This phrase, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Let me tell you another way to say that, the way that you would find it in Paul's epistles. Paul would say that you should be conformed to the image of Christ. That's Paul's way of wording it. We are, as we sang this morning, to become more like Christ. The way Peter worded it, we are to be partakers of the divine nature. In Peter's day, there were many false teachers, as there are still today, that use or let me say, abuse the grace of God and were teaching people that they could live corruptly and that that would be okay with God. They could still walk with God. And Peter is going to go to great lengths to point out the reason Jesus came was not just to save us from hell, but to change us to become more like him so that we can have a strong, close, intimate fellowship and relationship with him. Folks, that doesn't start when you get to heaven. It should start immediately. It should start now. I like to show you also verse 10 and 11. It says here, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds good. Verse 11 for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I've pointed out on the outline, the paper next to you maybe, you can look there for just a moment. There are three goals that Peter points out in verses 10 and 11. These three goals, they stem from, they flow naturally from becoming a partaker of the divine nature. The more you become like Christ, the more you'll see these three things. Number one, assurance of salvation. You will know that you're saved. You will have assurance of it. Number two, avoid falling. I'm using the word that Peter used at the end of verse 10, ye shall never fall. Can I give you another word for that? You'll avoid backsliding. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice to have assurance of salvation, to avoid falling? And then number three, you saw it in verse 11, to gain an abundant entrance into the kingdom. 
If you know how God's timetable works one day, and I say uh, hopefully very soon, hopefully before this sermon is done, we see Jesus face to face and, and we know that very soon he will establish his kingdom on this earth. If you're saved, you will be in that kingdom. But depending on what you do with the information you're going to read about in today's chapter, you can simply enter into the kingdom or you can abundantly enter into the kingdom. You can enter with great joy, as you know from the mouth of Jesus. He says to certain servants that were profitable, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That being said, let's take this to the Lord in prayer and then ask for his help. We'll continue through this chapter. Father, I believe there's so many things that we need to learn this morning. I pray that you would prepare our hearts, prepare my lips, my mind, my tongue, God, please let me speak only that which is right and true and helpful. Father, please speak to all of our hearts. Come down and meet with us. And stamp thine image deep in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, can I direct your attention to the paper again? I'm going to use a verse from the Apostle Paul. You can see it there. Philippians 1, verse 25. Paul said this, And having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. If you know the context of Philippians 1, Paul had two choices. He knew at any moment he could say and do the right thing to bring about his death. Right? He, he was in prison. He was being persecuted. All he'd have to do is say the right thing to the right person and he's done. And Paul said, for me to depart and to be with Christ is far better. But to stay, to abide in the flesh is, is better not for me, but for you. And then he gives us this verse. He, he said, I have this confidence. I know that if I abide and continue with you, I can help you with the furtherance and joy of your faith. He says, you, you guys have faith. I want to take you the next step. We want to see you make full advantage of what Jesus has made available to us. Let's begin at verse number one. Verse number one, 2 Peter 1 and verse one, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I, I love how Simon Peter opens this epistle. He gives us his old name and his new name. What a great reminder. Even Peter, well advanced in age he's been walking with God he's near the time of his death but he never forgets that he was once just Simon and there was a time in his life that Jesus became very real to him and Jesus gave him this new name he became a new creature he mentions that he's an apostle that is a very great honor to be called by God to take the word somewhere else but he doesn't forget to mention first he is a servant do you see the general calling and then the specific calling? Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like to point out something about the passage. And anytime you read or study the Bible, I would encourage you to notice, to observe these type of, of facts. Look at the end of verse 1. What's the punctuation? It's not a full stop, is it? Look at the end of verse 2. Not a full stop. The end of verse 3. Not a full stop. We have to get all the way through verse 4. One sentence. Now, in modern day writing, that is a run-on sentence and should not be done. Uh, however, in the days that the Bible was written, this was proper writing technique and you'll see this throughout the bible these sentences can go on sometimes seven or eight nine verses all of this is going to be tied to the like precious faith all four verses are dealing with the like precious faith that we have obtained now let's unpack that just a little bit this faith that we have obtained it has been made possible through the righteousness of god and our savior jesus christ the only, what this faith makes available to us. God comes down in human form, dies on the cross, sheds his blood, and now your sins can be forgiven and washed away. You can be what the Bible calls justified. 
This means God can declare you righteous. He can declare you righteous. How so? Because God, in his holiness, he gave a punishment. He poured out his wrath on Christ instead of you. So God did the right thing when he punished your sins and mine. He gave Jesus that punishment. So that's the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. He was an innocent man that died in our place. And because of that, he makes this this salvation, this faith available to us. It says in verse 1, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Do you realize that if you're saved this morning, if you have received the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter is writing to you. In some of the other epistles, this is to the Romans or to the Philippians, and you might see a disconnect and think, well, I'm not one of them. Peter, he directly addresses you if you're saved. So number one on your outline, if you'd like to fill it in, faith to be accepted. Faith to be accepted. I take this from verse one because Peter's writing to people that have obtained like precious faith. If you have received the faith of Jesus Christ, it is common faith. In the book of Jude, it's called the common faith because we believe exactly what they believed almost 2,000 years ago. Our, our doctrines, our teachings, our practices haven't changed. It's a like, and then it says precious. Precious, it's rare, it's very valuable. This is not something you just come across any, anywhere you go. This only comes through the righteousness of God and Jesus Christ. I want to speak just for a moment about this faith, this word faith, because as soon as you say that, it gets used in so many ways. I fear that people misunderstand the term. There are three things I think that we can say about it. Some people, when they say faith, they mean this. They, they think that it means the ability to believe. The ability to believe. Now, this would be more of your Reformed approach to faith, the Calvinistic or deterministic approach to it, the idea that you are unable to choose or to believe something until God gives you the gift of faith, and now you're able to believe. So they view it as an ability to believe. Me personally, I do not see that as being the way that the word faith is used in the Bible. As I understand it, we are all, it's, it's part of having, it's part of being created in the image of God. We have the ability to choose. Whether we've received Christ or not, the, the, the motions of the will, the ability of the will, that's seated in our soul. And if you have a soul, you have the ability to choose. So I wouldn't approach the word faith like that. Some people, and I think the majority of people, the majority of Christians approach it like this. They say, I have faith. What do they mean? I believe, I trust in God. Great, but which God? What, what exactly are you trusting that God will do? What do you believe about him? This is more of a blind faith. Blind faith is, is somebody else told me this and that about God. Yeah, I believe that. Or blind in the sense that you have not listened to what God has to say about himself, but rather you have created your own image for God. I think God would do this. I think God is like that. I believe what I believe. Well, see, this proves you do have the ability to believe. That is a type of faith, but I'm not sure it's the right kind. It's not the biblical kind. Here's a third option. The word faith can mean this. It is a system of beliefs. A system of beliefs. How many of you remember this verse? In Galatians 2, verse 20, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life, which I now live in the flesh, I live, listen to this part, by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith. How many of you remember reading that phrase in the Bible? The faith. Over and over again in the New Testament, you see where Paul says, we're not saved by works, we're not justified by the deeds of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. 
when Peter says you have obtained, you have received, you have accepted like precious faith. What kind of faith is he talking about? This is the kind of faith where God comes down and says, hey, looky here, this is what you should believe. And he gives you a system of beliefs, if I can use a different word for that, here's the way you should live. Here is your, if, for you tech-savvy people, this is your operating system. <laughs> this is your new OS. This is how I want you, this is how I've programmed it, and as soon as you click go or run or enter, this is how it should operate. So when we, as Bible believers, talk about faith, what we're talking about is what God has revealed to us through Christ, and we accept what He has said about Himself. We're not creating a God after the image of our own mind, but we are accepting what He has said about himself. I believe you'll see this as we go on. Verse number two, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Who doesn't need those two things? Grace. What's that? This is God's help, God's strength to accomplish a certain task, right? Can, can you in your own mind immediately start thinking of, th yeah, I need his help in this and this and this, right? We all need that. What's peace? Peace is that stillness, that calmness of heart that when you are met with a challenge, whatever that challenge is, rather than panic, rather than feeling chaos, frustration and stress, you look at it and say, yes, this is a challenge. This is a big thing, but God has told me how to handle it. So I, even though the storm is raging, the rain is falling, the boat is rocking, I'm not panicked because Jesus is in the boat. He said we'll make it to the other side. You see how we could achieve that peace. Grace and peace, look what it says, be multiplied. I like that, not added, multiplied. Now, just think of this. How would you like for the money to come into your bank account? Would you like for it to be added or multiplied? <laughs> right, I mean, this is simple mathematics. If we were to just do plus signs, that's great. Let's hit the plus sign over and make it a multiplication and let's start really gaining some ground in our bank accounts. We want this multiplied. Now, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through, where are we going to find the grace and peace? Through the knowledge of God and of, of our Jesus and of Jesus our Lord. Now again, if you are the kind that makes marks in your Bible, I would suggest you do this. Where it says, faith precious faith you can draw a circle around that and then draw a circle around knowledge of God I believe that those are synonyms one of the other think about this God comes down and says here's what I want you to know about me that's the knowledge of God he is transferring that knowledge to you how did he do it in the person of Jesus Christ the Bible says that when Jesus came he came to declare the father he came to tell people what God, who God actually is, how he operates, what to expect from him. He came to declare the Father. That's why he says right at the end of his life, Father, I have given them thy name. It's not that he showed up and said, hey, his name is Jehovah. Bye. <laughs> he has explained everything that goes with that name, that when you invoke that name, this is the type of God you're dealing with. Once you know the kind of God you're dealing with, you can expect not just a little bit of grace and a little bit of peace, but multiplied grace and peace. How many Christians approach life flustered, confused, frustrated, giving up, no hope, I can't make it through, stressed out? I believe they're not taking advantage of this knowledge that has been revealed. Verse number three, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. The first two words, according as, forgive me if this sounds clinical or more professorial, I'm not trying to make a classroom out of this, but this is an adverb. According to, that's an adverb. You know what an adverb does? It modifies a verb. It talks about a verb. What's the verb that it's modifying? Verse two, multiplied. How does grace and peace get multiplied to us? It's according to his divine power. What divine power are we dealing with? 
This is God coming down in human form. I believe that's speaking about the incarnation of Christ. That means God coming in the flesh. Think of this. Think of how much trouble God went through just so that you could know him personally. That is why we can confidently say grace and peace can be multiplied. It says here, as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Everything I need to know about how to live a godly life, I learned through God coming down in human form. Let me slip this in. I don't have time to unpack this completely. If you want to know how to be a good husband, study the life of Christ. If you want to know how to be a good wife, study the life of Christ. You want to know how to be a good student? No, okay, I didn't get any response to that, so no desire. Oh, we'll just skip that. <laughs> study at the puck. <laughs> if you want to know how to be a good student, you can study the life. Every single fatherhood, motherhood, you want to know how to, how to court a young lady? Consider her for marriage? Study the life of Christ. You say, oh, but Jesus wasn't married. Uh, he, 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 he does have a bride. He is espoused. It worked. <laughs> I'm telling you everything you need. And like you said, what I, but I work as an engineer. I, I work as a, I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. Study the life of Christ. You'll be, you'll be pleasantly surprised at how much you can learn about every aspect of life. Uh, what do we do about these, these people burning down the farms? How do we react to the situation in Seneca? It's in the life of Christ. The response to it, it's all there. It's all in there. It's been given to us. Let's continue in verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Jesus did not come down here and reveal all of this to us so that we could use this information to our personal advantage and for our own prosperity. There, God has a specific purpose in explaining himself to us. He has called us to glory and virtue. How many of you remember this verse? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is that glory of God? That's the image of Christ. The Bible says that God has shined in our hearts. If I can just flip to it, I want to make sure I quote it correctly. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts, listen to this part, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What has he come to do? restore that former glory to restore the original intention and purpose of creating mankind to be image bearers for God so what Adam lost in the garden we can have back through Christ that image can be restored glory and virtue we'll talk more about virtue in a moment but it's upright moral behavior not God's grace does not mean go and sin as much as you want it's covered it's paid for God's grace is given so that you can overcome that sinful nature and live according to him. In verse four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Whereby, what's that connected to? That divine power that gave us everything we need. Through Christ coming down, God in human flesh. And now through that, we get exceeding great and precious promises. How do we understand this? Do you remember Jesus talking about him going back to heaven, he said, guys, wait here in Jerusalem. The promise of the Father is gonna come. You remember that? In, at the end of Luke, at the beginning of Acts, he talks about the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? It was the Holy Spirit coming down. This, man, this is a powerful package. Jesus says, guys, I'm gonna go away. And immediately the disciples did what all of us would do. They begin to get a little nervous. Wait a minute, Jesus, you're, you're the leader. You're the master. If you go away, um, how are we gonna know what to do? 
What are we going to do? Immediately they felt flustered, nervous, confusion, chaos. We won't know, you know how to make decisions. And he said, guys, don't worry. I'm going to send another comforter. He will guide you into all truth. When he pitches up, he's going to convict you of sin, righteousness, judgment. He'll keep you in line. He will bring to your remembrance everything that I've told you. He will testify of me. I, want, I would dare say that the exceeding great and precious promises that we're reading about here, they are all funneled through the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I find it interesting that when Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to show you things to come, he even said in John 16, 12, I cannot tell you everything now. I, I can't say it all. You can't bear it right now. And then he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll guide you into all truth. You know what that tells me? After Jesus went back to heaven, he still had more to say. This tells me, keep reading. The story is not over in Acts 1. Keep reading. You better make it to Romans 8. You say, why do, why do I need Romans 8? Because that's the chapter where the apostle Paul explains, listen to this, the law of the spirit of life. That's the chapter that explains how the Holy Spirit operates. Now, when I go to that and I see how he operates and what he will do and can do in me, through me, around me, I know that I have all the promises I need. How many of you struggle with prayer? Can I, can I just ask you to jot this down? Romans 8, 26. I, and that, that was a sucker question because the Bible says in Romans 8, 26, all of us struggle in prayer. <laughs> so I already knew the answer to that. Romans 8, 26 tells us that it is a shortcoming for humanity. We know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Bible tells us in that same verse, the Spirit helps our infirmities. When I get down to pray, I'm never alone. I have heavenly assistance. I have someone who's listening in and cares about what's on my heart. Exceeding great and precious promises. Why? Verse 4, that by these ye, meet, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Peter is careful to point out the purpose of God giving us this knowledge, giving us these promises. And listen, one of them is this. This is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. Isn't that a great promise? That he will never leave us nor forsake us? Peter is careful to point out this is not to be abused. He's given us all these great things so that we can overcome the corruption in the world, not so that we can partake of it. We are to partake of his divine nature. We are to become more like Christ. I want to ask you a question before we move on to our next point. Point one was faith to be accepted. Can I just ask you to examine your heart quickly? Have you accepted this faith? Now, I want to be careful to make a distinction here because some people will be very quick, a little too quick to answer this and say, oh, yes, 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 I believe in Jesus. You might believe the historical fact that he came and that he died and that he rose again. Believing the historical fact that those things happened does not make you a partaker of the divine nature. When you accept Jesus, what you're, the, the faith that he has offered, what you're doing is saying, Jesus, what you said about yourself, what you said about the Father, I believe that's true. I believe that this is the reason you told us these things. I'm on board with that. I'm a little concerned, and I'm going to speak to a, a very hot topic issue amongst Christians these days. And this is something that's been talked about many times they say have you accepted Jesus as your savior or as your lord they say if, if whenever you get saved some people would say you have you you cannot receive him as lord you just have to receive him as savior if you receive him as lord that means you're trying to save yourself with works because to receive him as as your lord is to say I will change my life I will stop sinning I will live this way and say that that's mixing faith and works so faith, you receive him as Savior. Works, you receive him as Lord. And they make that distinction. Guys, there's only one Jesus. 
he is Lord and Savior. When he pitches up and says, guys, I've come to talk to you about God. This is how God works. This is what God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. These are the things that are important to God. He didn't come to simply download knowledge and help you believe a historical fact. He came to change you. When you receive Jesus, you are receiving the Savior and the Lord. It's a, it's a one it's, it's a package deal. You can't have him as Savior and not Lord. Then you're not receiving the knowledge that he's trying to give you. He didn't come to say, listen, there's, there's one aspect, another aspect. He, he showed up and said, here I am, follow me. I'm the way to the Father and there's no other way. So when we talk about receiving this precious faith, have you considered what Jesus came to offer and said Lord I'm on board with that I want the whole package yes I want to be saved I want my sins to be paid for I want to have eternal life in heaven but God I want to live a life that is pleasing to you I want to partake of this divine nature I want to be more like you stamp your image on my heart that's Peter's question that's the thrust of these first four verses faith to be accepted it needs to be this biblical faith that Jesus came to offer verse number five let's continue this is point number two furtherance by and I'm going to use the word application if you want to put the word addition help yourself they both start with a so it fits my outline perfect (laughs) furtherance by application verse number five and beside this beside this Uh do you see how he shifts we're moving we're done with the first thought he's explained that precious faith that Jesus offered and with that precious faith how many of you have you ever ordered something off of TV anybody ever done that seen something on TV you know those home shopping networks do you guys have that in South Africa yeah yeah, oh oh, I saw oh I heard some yes okay somebody's ordered off of that before (laughs) (laughs) you know it looks so good on tv but when it gets to the house i hate it the package is always smaller (laughs) and and then it has those dreadful words assembly required oh man just i'll pay extra if you put it together and bring it to the house i i hate that assembly required because i i'm not patient enough to assemble the thing okay when you receive the faith that Christ is offering the proper way of believing and living right there's assembly required now watch when you accept that faith you're saved you have obtained that precious faith you have obtained the exceeding great and precious promises so the potential for a full and fulfilling Christian life is there But if you want to realize the fullness of what Christ is offering, assembly required, you have to go a little further and add on to what has already been done. And this is going to take some effort on your part. Verse 5, and beside all this, giving all diligence. I would underline that phrase, giving all diligence. Add to your faith. Do you see why I say furtherance by addition or application? You have to add to your faith. That faith saved you. The faith that Jesus gave you, that system of beliefs, that saves you. He says, now add these things. Let's quickly look at these things. Add to your faith virtue. What's that? Behavior that shows high moral standards. A simple way to think of this is quit your bad habits. Start some good ones. The next thing, add and to virtue knowledge to virtue knowledge I like what Paul said in Philippians I have learned to be content this is not just knowledge of historical facts and scientific facts although that's fine too add that as well but add, add some very practical knowledge of how all of these things should work and be applied in your life what C.H. Spurgeon said was brilliant on this Spurgeon, who is nicknamed the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s, he said, read books. 
Read books about trees because God created trees. Read books about the stars because God created the stars. Read books about birds. God created the birds. He said anything you can learn about anything, God created that thing and you'll be benefited by that thing. (laughs) Just learn. Stay hungry to know more. The next thing after knowledge is temperance. That's self-control and discipline. The next thing after temperance is patience. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Man, still working on that one. (laughs) The next thing, godliness. I think we could also use the word holiness holiness when you use that word again I think we need to unpack it a little bit like the word faith many people use it in a strange way holiness in some people's minds equals a long list of man-made commandments got to wear your hair like this and dress like this and don't go to here and got to it's a long list of to do's and not to do's and that's not biblical holiness Godliness, I like, I like that word to explain holiness. The word godliness means like godness, being like God. So, what is true holy behavior? Study the life of Christ. He met with people, Jesus did, didn't he? That had a long list of man made commandments. And Jesus said, Guys, these things are not commandments of God. You're actually laying aside the big things. You're straining at the gnats and swallowing the camels. You've missed the picture of what holiness actually is. Maybe think of it like this. Holiness is being holy, healed them all, the whole thing given to God. Say, God, every part of my life, I want it to be something that makes you smile. You'll achieve holiness. The next thing, brotherly kindness, verse 7. Brotherly kindness. The Greek word behind this is Philadelphia. This is a specific kind of love. In other, you can translate it brotherly love. This is the friendship type of love that you should experience between brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. And then he adds another layer to it and to brotherly kindness, charity. The Greek word behind that is agape. This is a different kind of love, a much bigger, broader, deeper kind of love. We all need that Philadelphia kind where we have these intimate friendships with people but this charity that he's speaking about most people call this the God love because it's unconditional it's I'm going to love you no matter what you do kind of love that takes it much deeper then this is the kind that you apply to your enemies if I can draw from our recent events in South Africa this is the kind of love this is the kind of charity you must apply when somebody's burning down your farm. Amen. This is the kind of love that it needs to be there. Listen, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when the tables were turned, it needed to be there. Imagine what the world would be like if it just accept this precious faith of Christ and say, we'll live the way you told us to live. If somebody's treating us wrong, we'll treat them right anyway. Oh, imagine if we added that to our faith. You see, some people think I'm going to receive Christ. I'll come down to the altar. I'll give my heart to Christ and automatically, all of the sudden, boom, all of my issues are fixed and I'm going to start living right. And it's just this automatic thing. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Bam, I've got it figured out. That's not how salvation works. You have received the faith that saves you, but if you want to enjoy the fullness of it and see it work the way it was intended to work, you have to diligently, verse 5, diligently add to that faith. Here's the faith. I've got the box. I, I, I ordered it. I've received it. And now I'm unpacking it. And I'm going to assemble it in my life. So verse 8 If you do that, he says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Notice that you can have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and not be fruitful. We're not talking in verse 8 about how to be saved. You're saved. We're talking about how to grow. You understand the difference? Can I give you a shortcut? We all like shortcuts, right? Let me give you a shortcut. <laughs> yeah, I, no shame there. I, me too, me too. Verse 5, 6, and 7. All of the things we just looked at on the list. Here's the shortcut. Be more like Christ. Be more like Christ. Everything on the list, if you conform to his image, you will accomplish everything on the list. That's the shortcut. How many times have you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? To get to know Christ. Just to look at his life and say, now how can I apply the way he thought, the way he talked, the way he dealt with people, friends and enemies, the way he dealt with his father, the way he dealt with his disciples, his brothers. How did he operate? Let me apply it. You start living like that, your Christian life is not going to be barren or unfruitful. It won't be useless. Can you imagine what would happen if somebody gave me a cricket bat? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a useless experience? For some of you, you know, you'd look at that and go, wow, cricket bat, wow. You probably even know, like, which brand is better than others. To me, it's just a certain piece of wood that probably could have been used for other purposes, but <laughs> it, there it is, cricket bat. You give me a cricket bat, it's going to sit in the corner and do a whole lot of nothing. I don't, to me, if you have a bat, swing as hard as you can, right? If you're in the game, I've tried to watch cricket, and here comes this fast bowler, and, and, and the guy, dink, with his bat. He just puts the, dink. Sometimes, I think, I think he means to let the ball hit the bat and go behind him, dink, from behind him, and they all clap. Now, that's just the American in me, okay? That's just the American in me. I'm looking at that and going, dude, you missed. <laughs> that was a complete waste of time. Ding! It's a bat, man. Swing that thing. Swing that thing. A gift that is given, right, and then just sits in the corner completely useless. You give me a cricket bat, I'm not going to use it. It's just going to sit over there. And shame. So many people, they receive the gift of the faith of Jesus Christ, and it becomes a cricket bat that just sits in the corner. Or you pick it up and go, well, I think this is how you should use it. <laughs> Rather than adding to this gift that you've been giving, saying, let me learn the game. How sh I'm sure there's a strategy to dink, dink. I'm sure there's a strategy to it. I don't know it because I haven't added to my faith of cricket. <laughs> I have no faith in cricket. <laughs> but if you want to be fruitful and productive in the game of cricket, you have to spend some time with that bat getting to learn it. So many people, they receive Christ and that's all they ever do. That's as far as they ever go. I have received this precious faith. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that's it. And because the cricket bat is sitting in the corner doing nothing, you know after five or ten years, you know what they do? They look at it and go, this bat's useless. What was the purpose of receiving the bat? It does nothing. It just takes up space in my life. It just takes up an hour every Sunday morning. That's all that this Jesus thing does. It does nothing for me. It hasn't changed me. There must be a furtherance of your faith. You have to take that bat out. You have to unpack that gift and apply it. Verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's an incredible verse. You know what that says? If you do not apply the faith that you accepted, there's a decent chance that you'll forget that you're saved. There's a chance that you'll start to wonder, did I actually give my heart to Christ? Did I obtain that precious faith? Because it really hasn't made any difference. And you will not have any evidence to support the claim, I am a Christian. And not only will you doubt it, we'll doubt it. The only one that will know for sure is God. You can't, now listen, you see what verse 9 says. You've forgotten that your old sins were purged. There's a chance that you're saved 
and don't even know it. You're not enjoying the blessings of being saved. You're not partaking of that divine nature. You're still a lot like you and not much like him. Verse number 10, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence. Can I just show you at the beginning of verse five, giving all diligence. And then in verse 10, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence. Do you see how Peter punctuates point number two on my outline? The furtherance by application. He punctuates it by give diligence. Give diligence. I took two years of Spanish in high school. Whenever you ask a question in Spanish, you begin the sentence with an upside down question mark and you end the sentence with a right side up question mark. There's two punctuations. Now you guys in Afrikaans don't feel cheated. You have nia, nia, ni, ni. You have, you have the, double, the double negatives that should make positives, but it doesn't. Anyway. There's, there's two punctuations. Peter starts off almost not with a question mark, but an exclamation mark. You gotta really pay attention to this. Give diligence. Now, we've already looked at verse 10 and 11, right? We've talked about the assurance of your salvation. Not just claiming that you're saved, but that confidence, you know that you're saved. Number two, to avoid falling. This is not just falling away from the faith and becoming an apostate. This is backsliding into a life of sin. Do you understand where we get the term backsliding? You find it in the book of Jeremiah over and over again. You do see it in the Hosea and some other prophets, but Jeremiah used that all the time. Here's what happens. And if you were here last week, Garrett talked to us about Judah's problems where they strayed away from God. When you're going up a mountain right? You're making progress. If you stop, if that mountain is steep enough and you just stop, you're going to eventually start sliding back. Now, especially if you read there in the prophets, it talks about a heifer, a cow sliding back because those animals were used to pull carts up a mountain. Well, if you're pulling this cart, if you're carrying a cross, if you're pulling that weight up a mountain and you stop, the weight of that cart is going to pull you down and you will backslide because you're not moving forward. You've got to give diligence and keep making progress, slow as it may be, but make forward progress. Climb that mountain. The word diligence means, listen to this, steady, earnest and energetic effort I'm going to say that again steady earnest and energetic effort it can also mean devoted to painstaking work and application to an undertaking steady earnest and energetic effort Peter says, you do that. You apply this faith that you have. You unpack it and start applying it. Assurance of salvation, you avoid backsliding and the entrance one day when you see Jesus face to face, you're gonna be so glad you made that effort. It will be worth it all. Before we move to the final point, can I just ask you, this diligence that Peter is trying to emphasize. Have you made that energetic effort to add to your faith? Just look back in the last five, 10 years, what kind of progress have we made becoming more like Christ? What changes have occurred in your life that have brought you away from you and more into Him? And let's move to now verse number 12. The final point, you can see I have several blanks. <laughs> Point number three, blank, the, blank, by, blank, blank, blank. Here we go. Funneling, funneling, funneling the furtherance by always accessible advice. <laughs> funneling the furtherance by always accessible advice. I believe that's the best way to understand the last part of the chapter. And we don't need to take long, but let's make our way down, starting at verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always, notice the word always, in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. 
said, guys, I, I know you know this. I want to produce a way so that you can always be reminded of this. Now, we're going to come to how he did that. Verse 13, yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, another way of referring to your body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. You know, sometimes you, you hear about the faith, you hear about getting saved, you hear about godliness, knowledge, temperance, but you hear about these things and you hear it so much your, your ears become a little dull to it. Yes, I hear. I'm, it almost lulls you to sleep because you've heard it so much. Sometimes you just need to be stirred up. So, you know, I put in a great effort a while back, an earnest, energetic effort, but man, I've kind of run out of steam. I need this reminder just to, just to really get back up and climb that mountain. And Peter said, I want to I provide a way so that even after I'm gone you can look at something and be reminded and it will stir you up to say, yeah, this faith is precious. This faith is important. It's worth my effort and so forth. Verse 15, moreover, have we done 14? Forgive me, knowing this, I'm sorry, verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. And Peter did soon after he wrote this he died by crucifixion, but upside down. He didn't feel worthy to die the same way his Savior did. In verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things, notice the next word, always in remembrance. Not just while he's alive. I want you to always have it. Who's he talking to? People that have obtained like precious faith. Not just the people living in his day and age, even today. That's why Peter wrote this letter. That's why we have a Bible. And these words that God has inspired, he has also preserved so that every generation, no matter where you're at on the planet, you can have access to these truths. You can know about the true God through what Jesus told us. That's why God has taken great efforts to make sure we have access to the Bible. This is the always accessible advice. We have the advice of Scripture all the time. Quick question, are you applying that? Or do you look at a situation in life and say, well, through my best efforts, this is the way I would handle it, this is the way I want to do it, I'll try to fix it. Or do you actually say, God has preserved this precious book for me with all of his promises, let me crack it open and see what he says about this situation. That's going to take a little bit of time and a little bit of study, but it will completely renovate your life. In verse number 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. That is, we're not following a story that somebody made up, some smart story. A lot of religions, that's how they get started, but not this one. This one you can verify historically in other ways as well. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty Peter saw Jesus in his second coming body if I can say it like that on the mount of transfiguration Jesus was transfigured his face shone as the sun Moses and Elijah came down Peter got a, a preview of the second coming of Christ and he says guys I, I was there and he said, I can tell you for a fact, this is what happened. Now, he goes on further, verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. When you go back and read Luke's gospel, there's one other phrase that was said. When God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, he ended it by saying hear ye him that's great advice Jesus said my sheep hear my voice I know them and they follow me are you listening for the Savior's voice can you hear that voice say well brother Mike if, if God were to show up like he did on the Mount of Transfiguration and speak to me from heaven then, <laughs> then I'd get it loud and clear would you would you really? Are you sure? How would you know it's God? 
You know what you would do? You'd say, oh, that wasn't God. I must be going crazy. Vater's <laughs> vitron. Right? You, you, you would immediately say, I, I'm ready for the nut house. I couldn't have just heard God. For, for most people, that would be too overwhelming. Keep going, verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. You can underline the words more sure. More sure. We have something better than God speaking to us directly from heaven. Notice how Peter does not negate that God can speak directly to you. Do you see that? He says, we have also. Do you see it? We have also. God can directly address you. It may not be an audible voice from heaven. He may speak to your heart. He may do it through a sermon or through a book or through a friend. There's lots of ways that God can communicate to you. But the most reliable advice for all things pertaining to life and godliness, you're gonna find it in that book you have open before you. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto, he says in verse 19, ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Would you agree that the world in which we live has become a very dark place? Right? The society in which we operate is just darkness all around. You know what we expect from, from, from the government? We expect the worst, don't we? You know what we expect from society? The worst. We expect darkness. But God has not left us in that darkness, said, listen, you're on your own. It's just going to be bad. We're not supposed to stand there scared and terrified and confused. What are we going to do? The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, right? When, when God sees darkness, you know, you know how that verse ends? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So when, when the country is in a state of chaos without form and void, when your life feels completely without form and void and I'm in the darkness, that's where we have this exceeding great and precious promise. The Holy Spirit can begin to move upon the face of our hearts and show us how would Jesus want me to handle this? How do we know this? How do we know what Jesus would want? We have a Bible that gives us all of his teachings. We have a light that guides us in this dark place. God has not left us without instruction. We have a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. The entrance of thy words give light, the Bible says. It says at the end of verse 19, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. That's speaking of the day that Jesus comes back. Not only will he change your body, he'll change your heart. The day star, that's Jesus. He will arise in your heart. The sinful nature will be gone completely. Jesus makes you right, rectifies you inside and out. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. You can't just grab a verse and say, I think this is what it means. It means what it says. It means what it says. God did not make this complicated. People get the idea, well, you know, if you're going to live by the Bible, if you're going to study the Bible, then you've got to have some enlightened person to explain it to you. We all need teachers, right? Nothing wrong with a teacher. But guys, the teacher is just going to explain to you how you can personally open up a Bible and understand it. It's plain. It means what it says. Verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Funneling, funneling the furtherance. How do we know how to grow? How do we know to apply verse five, six, seven? Where do, where do we find the tools to add these things to our lives? It's in the Bible. It funnels our efforts, just like anything that grows. I told you earlier about the, God help me, Duringbosa, these thorn bushes. They put these rods in the ground so that the bush would grow, that tree would grow up that rod. It gave it structure. This is the rod that God has planted deep in the ground. And there is no bush hogger that can cut it down. <laughs> 
Mankind has tried to run over it. They've tried to eliminate it, and yet the Bible stands. This, if this book were simply the work of men, we would expect for it to fail on many occasions, and yet it just doesn't fail. It doesn't fail. What these men have said, we know that it wasn't men making it up. Men couldn't have made those things up. They couldn't predict the future like they did. Men could not give us a, a roadmap for our life that works perfectly every time it's applied. But it does. It absolutely does. This is the structure. This is the funneling system that God has given. If you want to live a godly life and become more like Christ, just apply this. It says that this is a light that shines in a dark place. I was speaking to Wenzel and Sulis recently, and I asked them about, and I won't mention any more about their details, but I just asked them about the sun coming up. You know where they're at, the sun doesn't come up every day of the year like we would expect. On a particular day, it might be one or, or several days, he said the sun just peaks over the horizon for just a moment. Just peak. And that's it. Essentially, you're in darkness the whole day. That'll mess with you. That'll mess with your system, with your thinking. It just, ugh. And then I got to thinking about that. You know, there are some Christians, they live their life in that sort of darkness. The light of the Word of God just, not even every Sunday, just on the Sundays that's convenient for you. Peak, it just, it just, just a little bit of Bible gets in there in between all the thoughts that are running through your mind instead of paying attention to the sermon. Oh, a Bible verse got in, just a little bit of light. Not even gonna be applied. Not even enough to really use. You can't really get up and do anything with that light. And yet, in some places, right, the sun comes up and just stays up. Where Benzel's at, that happens. Sometimes the sun comes up and at three in the morning, the sun's still up in the sky. And I think of somebody sitting there with their Bible open, just like God told them to, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way, when you sit in your house, what's the Bible say? What's the Bible say? You meditate in the word day and night and you let this shape your life. Let me finish with this Application in verse 19, he said, Whereunto ye do well that you take heed. You do well that you take heed. What does it mean to take heed? Pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. I would encourage you folks, this coming week, pay close attention to what the Bible has to say about your life specifically. I'd really encourage you to start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but God has given us 66 books of the Bible, and I promise you any page, any verse can speak to something that's going on in your life. And you would do well to pay attention to what that book has to say for you. I promise you this, it is going to draw you closer to Christ so you can become more like Christ. Examine your hearts this morning. Before we can have the furtherance of faith, you have to first receive the faith. If you've already received it, use this sermon to stir up the things that are already in there to make a more diligent effort of applying them. Let's all stand if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Boltman's going to play something quietly. will not take too long, but I do want to give you a moment to search your heart. And I'd like for you to especially ask yourself, this faith that we talked about today, this precious faith that's being offered, before you can grow, before there can be any furtherance, you have to obtain that faith. We're not asking, do you believe that there was a man named Jesus that died? That's a historical fact that even the devil believes. We're asking you to look at what Jesus did, what he taught, 
what he said about himself, do you accept that? Now, he said that his blood gives us forgiveness of sins. Jesus said that. Jesus said that he gave himself as a ransom, as a payment. So you look at what he said and you take what he revealed as your faith. You say, I, I agree with you. I believe what you said. That's the faith that saves. That's the choice you need to make. You start there and then you go further and further and further. Assurance of salvation. Avoid backsliding. An abundant entrance into the kingdom. Worthy goals, all of them. All possible by partaking of the divine nature. Before I close in prayer, I haven't done this in a while, but no one's looking around. You have complete privacy, just me, you, and the Holy Ghost here. Can I ask, because I'd like to pray for you, if you have never received that faith that I was just explaining, I would like to pray and just ask God to help you to make that right decision. Would you be willing to just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down and say, Preacher, pray for me. I, I don't know if I've ever obtained that kind of faith. I've never understood it like that. I don't know if I've ever been saved. Would you just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. Anybody like that? Thank you. I appreciate the honesty. Thank you. I see those hands. I do appreciate your honesty. For the rest of us, and I'm just going to put us all in the same category, I'm going to ask God to stir our hearts to go further with our faith. All of us need that encouragement. All of us. Father, thank you this morning for working through your book, Lord. What a tremendous collection of promises. Thank you so much for coming down and revealing to us who you are, what you expect, what you desire. Lord, I want to pray especially for these hands that went up this morning. You know, Lord, what it, what it requires for them to make this very important decision. Please, even today, might this be the day that they look at what Jesus is offering and accept it by faith. Lord, for the rest of us, we want to become more like you. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. Stamp your image deep in our hearts. Lord, thank you for this great light that shines in a dark place. Even better than you speaking from heaven, you, you've given it to us so that for all time we can look at what you said. We can hear your voice in this book. Help us to apply it. Help us to pay attention to it. Father, let the words spoken this morning sink deep and bring forth fruit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.